but you have to stop because if you don't find any peace, any mental peace, then you won't be able to be creative. What are you, my therapist? Yes. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I seem to wait to the last minute to get work done. On this episode of Change the Narrative, we'll talk about the benefits of procrastination and hear from an expert on time, animation professor Jose Garcia Moreno. This is Change the Narrative, the podcast about innovation in education and the workplace. I'm your host and tour guide, Michael Hernandez. One of my favorite things to do while traveling is to visit local markets. It's the best place to see how real people live and work and eat. This is the Mercado Hidalgo in Tijuana, Mexico. It's a place where you can buy chilies and fresh meat, fruits and vegetables, cazuelas, chicharrones. It's definitely one of the best places to feel what it's like to be Mexican. While the place is bustling, it's also very much about slowing down to enjoy the food and spending quality time with family and friends as you make your way around the market. I can't think of the last supermarket experience that I had in the U.S. that was a social event. The efficiency of aisles and barcoded boxes might be great if you're running between work and soccer practice, but I wonder what's lost when we forget to pause between activities, listen, and just be. Packed schedules and rushing to meetings really gives us a chance to consider new ideas and make room for fresh perspectives outside of our established routines. After all, Archimedes discovered how to measure the volume of objects by displacing water, not by working over formulas at a desk, but while he relaxed in the bathtub. How can we learn from the Mercado? When was the last time you took the scenic route home from work? Or listened to a different radio station? or even just sat in silence. Pepe, thank you so much for joining me for this episode uh, about procrastination. I've been meaning to get to this sooner, <laughs> but I didn't make it until now. <laughs> you were procrastinating. <laughs> um, You're very uh, welcome. I'm honored. Yeah, this is great. And I can think of no better person for this episode. Um, about time uh, than, than you. Um, I think we met a few years ago. You were helping to judge my student uh, film festival. Is that when we first met? Yes, I think so, through Sue Scheibler. Yeah. It was probably 10 years ago. Yeah, I had to be 10, yeah. Wow. Yeah, maybe longer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were like 20 when we started it, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you grew up in Mexico City. Correct. Yeah, and I remember having a conversation um, with you about the Oscar-winning film Roma, mm -hmm. uh, and it was set in the same era as your childhood. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Cuaron and I were the same age, and we grew up in the same social context in Mexico City, so I absolutely relate to that film. One of the hallmarks of that film is how the director uses time, right? So it's like the long takes, the way the camera lingers on a face or the sky, you know, just the absence of fast-paced, quick cuts that you see in a lot of movies nowadays. Roma, in, in many ways, actually conveyed the sensation and the idea of time perception through Mexican culture. 
I think that it's, uh, it's, it's actually very interesting because now that I have been living here in the, in the United States for uh, almost 18 years, I can actually see that societies relate to time in different ways, right? And actually, uh, that relation creates uh, a relation with daily life. And in many ways, I think that Roma, it's an exercise on depicting uh, normal life through the lens of time, right? Mexican culture is full of all these uh, sayings that actually deal with how should you relate effectively with time, right? There's like, hay más tiempo que vida, which means that there will be more time than life, that time will overcome any of us, right? Why obsess with time? Because there's no way that we can catch up with time. Hmm. Despacio que tengo prisa, means that I'm in a hurry, so I should go slow. Which is, uh, I think that uh, when, when you say that and you, and you create that same f mind frame, uh, uh, that's setting that, uh, that mind frame in terms of, for example, European societies or, or, or American society, is this need, this obsession, this uh, almost gluttony to consume time, right? It's, there's an expectation that if, if you go slow, you're losing time. Right? And I think that in many ways, that, uh, that attitude of trying to be faster than time, almost like this Aesopian fable of the rabbit and the tortoise, is that uh, that would be impossible, right? So the only thing that you're creating is stress. There is this, uh, I think there's, there's this false perception of Mexican society being lazy, and I don't think that the perception is that Mexican society or Mexicans are lazy. They just have a different approach on how to relate to time. So uh, the other one is no, no por mucho madrugar amanece más temprano, which means no matter how early you start in the day, dawn will not happen ever earlier. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, great. It's like, or the American phrase, like, Looking at the grass won't make it grow any faster. Correct, right? So why why obsess with that? And I think that uh, you know, as, as much as I love my uh, my dear Benjamin Franklin, that he said that time is money. <laughs> I think that uh, procrastinating has like this sense that you're not doing what is expected from you or with your time. And I think that that is a relation of uh, the way that we had set up. Uh, uh, the way that we relate our job and our lives through time is through scheduling. It, it, it has forced this idea into us that we have to schedule life to be successful. A friend of mine told me the only purpose of money is to buy your own time, right? Which is weird. It's like uh, retirement is, is like postponing your life to the last chapter in life, right? So it's hmm. like, uh, I guess you're creating capital of time, and then at the end you're gonna use it, which I think is ridiculous. Wow, great perspective on that, because in the last episode it was all about scheduling. I was talking to someone <laughs> oh, about how to make the most of every minute. Um, <gasps> wow. Yeah, it's really interesting. Sue Scheibler and you were talking about uh, film one time. We were having a discussion over dinner and... We're always talking about film. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what happens with film professors. <laughs> yeah, why would you be talking about the stock market? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so you guys were talking about how you liked film as mm -hmm. opposed to video and just simply because it takes a lot longer to edit with mm -hmm. strips of, of film than it does digitally on a computer. 
And I think that you like that it takes time to think and process mm. if you're forced by the medium to take longer to do it. Yeah, uh, I think that it was Sue that actually was uh, referring to <laughs> editing uh, specifically in terms of manipulating and uh, the analogical uh, virtue of relating physically with the world and, and what surrounds you. I have seen an increment of kids uh, diagnosed within the, the spectrum of autism that actually are fascinated with animation, right? Mm -hmm. That want to become animators. It was probably, I think it was like 15 years ago that we started this, and that was the first time that I heard the word neurodiversity. So obviously neurodiversity actually brought into the table, why don't we bring a kid that has been diagnosed with, uh, with autism? And that was my first relation with, with one of those kids. And this kid, her parents actually came and informed us that there was an issue with perception of time with her. So it could be 10 minutes had, was no different from three hours, right? So she had oh. to be chaperoned hmm. through uh, the sequence of events within the film school. And I said, okay, fine. And, uh, and then I went back and uh, started thinking, how the hell am I going to teach animation to a person that is not aware of the concept of time, being said that animation is basically ruled by time and uh, uh, the way of subdividing time, et cetera, et cetera. And then I said, okay, so uh, probably what I have been thinking about what animation means is wrong. Because what happened with this girl is that she could animate beautifully. She had this ability to actually use animation as a, as a tool of time and a tool to perceive time and project through animation and internal temporality. What I'm saying is that this hypersensibility of autistic kids, right, this, this rush of images and metamorphosis and transformation of daily life, right, that everything is happening at 2,000 miles per hour, Right? These kids are just freaking out, right? Mm -hmm. So what is that animation doing? It's providing them with a tool to stop time and reflect on time and reflect on how actually things move and, create and, and can create knowledge on how to understand external time. So that is why uh, I think one of the greatest virtues of animation is that the process is based on, on stopping. You have to stop, you have to observe, and then you have to reconstruct time. And I think that is the value for anyone, autistic kid or not. So basically, animation is not about cartoons or 3D or uh, special effects in movies. What really animation produces is synthetic time, pure time. That is why uh, experimental scientists are so interested in animation like physics and biology, right? Because you can create a model in which time is pure. So anything can happen. What you do with animation is that you move volume through space and time. So that is why physics is, you know, is like in love with animation, right? Mm. I think that in the near future, we're gonna be teaching physics to elementary kids through animation. In episode eight 
of my podcast, I talked with Dr. Monica Burns about how to find time in our busy schedules to be creative. She had a lot of great advice about scheduling your day to be productive and how to be efficient with, with time. And I'm just curious, though, like as an artist, but also as a college professor, how do you use schedules to be productive? I guess schedule is like a necessary evil in a way, right? Uh, but I would say that in, in my case, multitasking derails your uh, productivity or your efficiency as an artist, or at least it, it does that to me, right? Derails it. Derails it. I think that I cannot multitask. I have to actually concentrate on one thing and then do the next thing. I think that not understanding how to create a sequence of events, right? Instead of a compartmentalizing life, right? From 10 to 11, from 12, blah, 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 blah. It's more like I need to do this thing and once I, I'm done with that, I'm gonna jump into that and then that and that and then that's it, right? Because I also need to rest and I also need to play and I also need to think about things and I also need to do nothing. Because pro procrastinating is a little bit like saying, I'm gonna do it later, but I'm thinking about it all the time because it's creating all this sense of stress because I am not doing what I'm supposed to do, right? right? right. So you're never actually stopping the brain and the hamster inside, right? The wheels are still turning. They're still you're turning. still waiting for ideas coming in, right? Mm -hmm. Right, so not doing actually allows you to create an ideal empty space to actually start meditating and reflecting on the world, on yourself, right? But you have to stop because if you don't find any peace, any mental peace, then you won't be able to be creative. What are you, my therapist? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I, I can't stop. Like, I'm yeah. right. My downtime is like working on things, right? Right. Um, yeah. So um, I don't know why somebody can analyze <laughs> that. I'm sure everyone's analyzing that right now. But um, yeah, the peacefulness, the the not thinking, the not doing, um, the mental rest creating the space to, uh, for a new space to be filled with right. new ideas. Uh, or at least I am thinking in terms of my creative uh, scheduling, right? I, I want to come in this meditative, peaceful state of mind, right? It, it's, it's more efficient instead, instead of actually freaking out that I don't have time to actually do it. Yeah. So it's, it's like a paradox because you have to go, it's like, as Mexicans say, despacio que tengo prisa, right? Uh, I'm in a hurry, so I have to go slow. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. Why haven't I heard that before? <laughs> it's beautiful. If you're always on the lookout for inspiring people and ideas, and you probably are since you're listening to this podcast, then you'll want to check out my monthly newsletter. I share a personal story inspired by my work, curate resources related to innovation and digital literacy, and connect you with thought leaders around the world, all delivered to your email inbox. Sign up on our website at changethenarrative.net. Yeah, I read a, a great opinion article by Adam Grant uh, yes. in the New York Times, um, and he was talking about the benefits of procrastination. So it turns out they've done some research and if we put things off, we're actually more creative because the brain can have time to process the task 
and be open to new ideas. So in that time that you're waiting to do it, your um, your lens is focused on that, and you have all these new ideas that are just filling that space, maybe creating that negative space we were talking about too. Correct to wait for those new ideas and incorporate those. I mean, you do a lot of creative work and yeah. a lot of blank canvases and blank screens. Do you find that procrastination is helpful to you in your work? Yeah, so uh, absolutely. So, But I guess then the, the question is, what do you do with that time, right? With that empty time or uh, delayed time or uh, non-thinking time or whatever you want to describe it with, how do you use your power observation, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that time that is your time, the, the reflection and meditation and slowing down, the purpose is to observe yourself or the world around you, right? Because perception is the foundation of knowledge. And uh, if we stop perceiving the world directly, then we're losing that power and that knowledge. It's not about procrastination, but about being bored and the value of being bored. We are not allowing our kids to get bored because we have this idea that we have to consume time and the time should have like a functionality and pragmatism. So they go from piano class to a, a, a physical class to a blah, 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 Club to do the homework, to do tutors. Blah, 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 blah. And we do not leave them alone for a moment. So they don't have the time to get bored and have like this, this idea to actually go into this empty space and be creative and do nothing. So I think we, we, we need to uh, rescue that time for them. And there's actually research that proves that you need that boredom time to learn to ideate right. independently. Right. For those of us who haven't done very much animation, mm -hmm. it's a very precise kind of thing, right? You have to draw or illustrate every single frame uh, that's going to be projected. So there's 24 frames every second. Yes. And so if you think, okay, I need a character to walk across a room and take seven seconds to do that, you have to do the math and figure out how many cells am I going to have to illustrate and draw. Right. It's that precise, right? Yes. Um, and that's sort of counterintuitive to what you think of as like an artist. You think of like Jackson Pollock just throwing paint around or I'll come back to it later or whatever. It doesn't, it seems really restrictive. Well, yes, in a way, although they say that restriction actually promotes creativity, right? But, uh, Dr. Seuss had a thing like that with uh, green eggs and ham, right? That he only had to use like certain amount of words. Or Chuck Jones, the creator of the Roadrunner series, who actually had like all these rules of what can you do with the same structure. So inventiveness came out of being restricted into this set of rules. So I think that's uh, uh, sometimes creativity uh, could benefit from having uh, some boundaries. Norman McLaren said, great Canadian animator, that what's not important is what, what is happening in each frame, but what happens in between the frames, right? So what I'm saying to my students is that don't be obsessed with a frame. What you should be obsessed is with the flow and the rhythm of things, right? So that becomes as you've, you do have to understand first how to measure things, and then you have to forget to measure things. Wow. Thanks, Yoda. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm curious, like, how do you balance the need for structure and deadlines mm -hmm. and also a creative endeavor? I think that people that I've seen that are more effectively managing their time will pace themselves. If, if you think about how the process is going to be, you're going to find the, the shortest way to the goal. Obviously, you want to be realistic and pragmatic, right? which is one of the first lessons of an animator, what can be done, what is physically possible, right? You cannot do the Lord of the Rings in a week, right? Right. So uh, how would you manage your internal perception to expand time? Right, so it's quality over quantity, or yes. like you were saying earlier, um, moving away from this gluttony of time yes. that Americans have. Yes. We want more of it and faster. It's like, no, I have to actually uh, be like almost like in a sweatshop, right? And if I stop for a second, I'm not going to be done. It's like uh, you have to attend also to the needs of your body. So I think you want to be effective when you, when you are at the task, right? Sometimes when I'm working on a creative project, I just get obsessed with it and time vanishes. Right. It's like I can sit down to work early in the morning and then look up and it's like 11 at night. Right. Right. So maybe some of it has to do with like how passionate you are about, their, about what you're working on. Yes. And if you're passionate about your work, maybe you have more control of time. Absolutely. No, I, I, I do believe that. Yes. So in a practical sense, though, I mean, you have to ha have a semester grade at the end of the semester and the projects have to be completed at a certain time. Yes. So how do you manage that with your students? Like, do you have deadlines or what if something's coming along and it's really fantastic and great, but it's not finished? Yes. I, I have like this uh, way of describing animation that it's a, a, a tortoise savant. <laughs> like, uh, it, it's like uh, something that moves very slowly. It's like uh, this very demanding lover. It's l almost like a, a curse and a blessing at the same time is physically demanding and exhausting. The, the difference is like with some other classes, you can actually study like two weeks before, one week before, the night before, and then do the exam. Right? <laughs> right. You, cannot, you cannot do that with animation. You can't cram for an animated movie. No, no, you can't, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's not possible. Right? right. So you have to learn that the process is gonna take you a long time. It's like distillation, right? Is, uh, it, it comes drop by drop, right? And then there's like a, an exhalation of the flame at the end, right? It's a, an ex post facto experience. Ex post facto meaning that it's gonna happen after the fact. So you're working for something that will be brought together in the future. There's no way to push it. I mean, just see the credits of modern animation, right? It's like a, a, a million people doing people doing an animated feature film, right? And it takes years. And everyone says, okay, the computers has helped. Yes, of course it's helping animation and every single time there is more that you can do. But you have to do it frame by frame. There's no way around it. Such a great metaphor for life, right? <laughs> yeah. What are you working on right now that you're excited about? The Academy of Media Arts in Cologne invited me to give like this conference on surrealism and animation. And it was, uh, it was very exciting. In, in the Academy of Media Arts, they are not graded. Wow. Uh, you can come to class or not. 
it, it works in many ways. Sometimes it doesn't, but it actually puts the responsibility on the student, right? Hmm. On what to do with your own time and what is the value of you being there, right. right? There is no escape, no mediation with, oh, I'm doing and finishing the deadline and I got a grade. So it's not about that. It's like, uh, what is a value that you can produce in that time? Uh, well, Pepe, this has been fantastic. I didn't realize I was going to have a therapy session and a Star Wars prep session and learn how to schedule <laughs> myself and get permission to be bored. Thank you. All in one sitting. <laughs> so really, thank you for your insights. This is really, really incredible. Thank you, Michael. You can find out more about Jose and see links to his animation work on our website, changethenarrative.net. We've been talking all season about why and how you should innovate, but I have a feeling I know what's really holding you back. On the next episode of Change the Narrative, I talk with Saba Quidwai about the biggest obstacle to innovation, fear. If you like our podcast, rate us and write us a review. It helps people find us. Do I speak like Yoda? You don't speak backwards <laughs> like Yoda does, but... I could try to. <laughs> First, you must measure them and then forget to measure them. I like that. <laughs>